You're listening to the Quince podcast. You can just kill the body. And I being a Hindu, I have read Quran. And Quran says, कि ये जो चोला है, ये शरीर का जो चोला है, ये तो बदल जाएगा. लेकिन जो इंसान का spirit है, उसका जज्बा है, वो कहीं नहीं जाएगा. मखलनाल बिंदरू will be alive in the spirit. ये उमें मेरे बाप की बेटी. Those were the words of Shraddha Bindru, the daughter of Kashmiri Pandit and prominent businessman Makhan Lal Bindru, who was shot dead by terrorists on 5th October. Shraddha Bindru's words echoed throughout the valley in the week that followed, as fear and uncertainty gripped minority groups in Jammu and Kashmir due to a recent spike of civilian killings in Srinagar. Since 5th October, seven civilians, Satinder Kaur, Deepak Chand, Majid Ahmed Gujri, Muhammad Shafidar, Birinder Paswan, Muhammad Shafilon, and BL Bindru were all killed in separate incidents in Srinagar and Bandipur. This year, according to the Indian Express, at least 28 civilians have been killed in Kashmir till 7th October. Some victims from the recent killings also belong to religious minority groups. So far, a terror outfit that calls itself the Resistance Front, TRF, has claimed responsibility for the attacks. However, no suspects have been apprehended yet by the JNK police. But the question which looms in the air is what is the intent behind these killings? Is it to instill fear in the community or is there a larger agenda behind it? And what does the spike in killings speak of the functioning of the JNK security forces? For this, for today's episode, we spoke with political commentator and author Varad Sharma and former GOC of Srinagar Base 15 Corps, Lieutenant General Sayyid Atah's name. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Imad. According to an Indian Express report, Majid Ahmed Ghazri was shot by militants in Srinagar's Karan Nagar. And barely three hours later, Mohammad Shafidar, another civilian, was shot dead in Batamalu, which is just a few kilometers from Karan Nagar. These attacks were then followed by another spate of killings on 5th October where three civilians were killed. Among them was prominent Kashmiri pundit businessman ML Bindru who ran two medical stores in Srinagar. According to the Indian Express, he was shot dead outside his shop Bindru Health Zone near Iqbal Park. And similar to the attacks on 2nd October, just an hour after Bindru was attacked, Virendra Paswan, a street vendor hailing from Bihar, was killed at the Madin Sahib area in Hawal, which is just a mere 30 minutes from Iqbal Park. And in the third incident, Mohammad Shafilon, a taxi driver and president of a local taxi union, was gunned down in Bandipura. And then just two days later, two government school teachers were gunned down by four men at Srinagar's Boys Higher Secondary School. According to the print, school principal Satinder Kaur and her colleague Deepak Chand were singled out out of the school staff. The print report states that Deepak Chand was picked from the lineup after two terrorists asked the school staff to show their identity papers. The report adds that the terrorists also collected the mobile phones of all the teachers of the school. The killings of Kaur and Chand, who belong to the Sikh and Hindu minority communities in the valley respectively, has given rise to a panic among the community, who fear that the killings may be a warning of a return of killings of 1990s. According to a print report, as many as 75 Kashmiri pundit families have already fled the region. But the larger question is, 
why are these killings taking place and why now? Is this to spread fear among the community or is there a larger agenda behind it? According to Varad Sharma, the fresh plate of minority killings in Kashmir is definitely for instilling fear among the Kashmiri Pandit community. We have to understand that the so-called uh, Azadi movement in Kashmir is basically an Islamist movement. So it's an Islamist movement. The agenda is the same, whether it was in 1890 or whether it is uh, 2021. The fresh spate of killings of the minorities in Kashmir is definitely uh, for creating fear among the Pandit community. Uh, so the modus operandi, if you see, it was the same, uh, which was in 1989-90 when the minority Hindus were killed. So one must recall the killings of uh, Pandit Tikalal Taplu, Justice Neelkant Ganju, Advocate Premnath Bhatt, Professor Neelkant Rana. So there are so many examples. So the, the same way uh, the recent killings has happened, that, that same process, same methodology has been uh, used in the past. Also, one, uh, one must also look at the context. Uh, the context is that Modi government has initiated several measures, uh, which I would say course corrections in Jammu and Kashmir some of which uh, are uh, seen favorable to uh, Kashmiri Hindus from a policy point of view. So uh, this hasn't gone down well among the separatist uh, elements in Kashmir. Lieutenant General Atta Hasnain adds that the recent killings are also a way for the terror groups to maintain their relevance in the region and was expected given the Taliban coming to power in Afghanistan in August this year. See, there are uh, two issues which are interrelated. The first of them is that... Uh, the situation in Jammu and Kashmir has been rather stable, secure for the better part of the last two and a half, three years, particularly after the turn of events after 5th of August 2019. The security forces have taken an upper hand. Uh, infiltration has been under control. The hinterland operations and the ability of the terrorists to uh, strike and run uh, has been marginalized to a very great extent. And therefore, the relevance of the terrorists and the relevance of their sponsors in across the line of control in Pakistan, that's the ISI essentially. Uh, all this has got has become very, very limited at the moment. The second issue which is related to it is the situation in Afghanistan. So it was expected that something, if, if uh, the Taliban 2.0 comes to power in, in Afghanistan, it may you know, sort of give a spurt to activities, uh, terrorist activities in Kashmir. In an indirect way, I would say that obviously the Taliban 2.0 at this stage taking it upon itself to give direction on Kashmir is highly improbable. But the inspirational aspect is very much there that in the events have taken place which are perceived by uh, these forces of the terrorists, etc. as uh, uh, something very, you know, in, in their, in their uh, context, very, very important that a ragtag set of people have been able to defeat two superpowers, Soviet Union, the United States. It's a huge inspirational thing for them. And if you take it upon themselves, that they too can achieve something very big. So obviously, within about uh, six to eight weeks of the events in uh, Afghanistan taking a turn, you suddenly find uh, the effect of that coming into uh, Jammu and Kashmir. So uh, the manner of attaining uh, relevance the manner of gaining traction once again in this situation is such that the easiest or the most vulnerable, the softest targets that they could find have been struck. Minorities in any region are always the softest targets. First of all, they are civilian in content. They don't have arms and ammunition with them. It's not like Jammu also where at least who had village defense committees in the Kashmir Valley 
we don't have village defense committees at all uh, they are they are isolated in different a parts of the of the valley in terms of the sikh minority being in uh, small clusters uh, the kashmiri pandits kashmiri hindus are not in those clusters in fact they are spread out all over securing them is a huge challenge and uh, by themselves they offer very very vulnerable targets to the terrorists so it's not that this is happening the first time you, you are aware that it happened in 1990 there was a virtual holocaust there were almost genocide like conditions the kashmiri pandits left the valley many of them some of them stayed back and those are the ones who are being hit uh, today but in between 1990 and 2021 many times such events have taken place every time the terrorists want to send home a message to say to give a, uh, an idea about their capability a projection of how strong and successful they are they carry out such terrorist criminal acts you can recall some landmark milestone events such as chittisingpura if you remember in 2000 we had 36 sikhs gunned down in south kashmir we had nandi marg where the kashmiri pandits were gunned down you also had a place uh, uh, event in a place called vandhama so these are all wedded to the history of uh, the last 30 years proxy war something which should always be expected uh, to happen especially when the situation is in complete favor and control of these security Following the killings, the Jammu and Kashmir Police on 10th October detained more than 500 overground workers (OGWs) who were suspected to be connected to the terror groups Lakshar-e-Taiba and Jaish-e-Mohammed. As we stated earlier, the Resistance Front (TRF) has claimed responsibility for the recent spike in killings, but no suspects have been arrested so far. Quoting a police officer who wished not to be named, the Indian Express reported that unlike other terror groups who advertise themselves on social media, the TRF has largely remained under the radar. and are quote unquote hybrid terrorist in nature but who exactly is a trf and what do we know about them so far and why has it been so difficult to locate any of them according to lieutenant general hasnain the trf is an umbrella organization and does not consist of any label which has any islamic identity so that it projects itself as a quote unquote non islamic and home grown terror group the terror groups generally function under a terminology called united jihad council ujc ujc which functions from muzaffarabad but this time about two and a half years ago they came out with this name called the resistance front trf it's an umbrella organization almost akin to the united jihad council it's a generic name it doesn't consist contain any label which is islamic which has an islamic identity obviously the reason for it is that it projects as if it's a, a non islamic nothing to do with pakistan it's a local homegrown kind of a group of people who are attempting to do this more of a revolutionary front or something like that this is the whole effort of pakistan to project that so that is one of the aspects of the uh, trf but it carries out its activities as usual uh, uh, it's uh, it's got uh, as i said earlier it's an umbrella organization and most of the, the major terror groups are A, a part of it what a hybrid terrorist for this is a very interesting thing which uh, mr dilbag singh the director general police has come out with uh, a high is he normally terrorists are hardcore they are uh, there's a term called registration of of terrorists you'll be surprised the terrorists are even registered and graded grade a grade b grade c depending on their degree of uh, uh, you know how how dangerous they really are to society uh, what is the the amount of uh, experience these terrorists have got how long have they been 
uh, in the field, how many uh, crimes I ascribe to them. This is the manner in which these terrorists are normally classified or graded, right? But uh, it's easy, you know, getting intelligence comparatively on graded terrorists is, is comparatively simpler. But the moment you have terrorists who are out of the, who come out of the blue, people who are generally overground workers, people who are known to be otherwise above ground, not, in, not, into, not underground as terrorists, overground, and suddenly from overground you choose to decide to carry out a terrorist crime, to go into hiding for two days and come back again, that's the kind of terrorists who are hybrid terrorists. Uh, they don't leave behind any footprints. It is not easy for the police to be able to uh, sort of target them. They are part of the Nimeja networks, but the networks themselves work over time to make sure that those uh, footprints are uh, completely uh, taken out so that the police or the security forces cannot ever have an inkling as to who really has done it, right? Now, the fact that it is, they are claiming to be TRF by itself, it's, that itself is, a, is a, a hybrid kind of a, a approach to the whole thing. But what is astonishing is that the targeted killings of these civilians were reportedly a quote-unquote surprise to the JNK security agencies and that the killings of Satinder Kaur and Deepak Chand were quote-unquote out of the blue. According to reports by the print in India Today, intelligence was received by the security authorities in mid-September that minority communities in the valley will be targeted by terror groups. The print reports that the security presence in and around minority groups was beefed up. However, despite the forewarning, the attacks took place, especially in the capital city of Srinagar. Bharat Sharma believes that there has been a failure in the state machinery, given that the Kashmiri Pandit Sangharsh Samiti President Sanjay Tiku had written to the Lieutenant General Manoj Sinha's office on 5th October regarding intelligence received on targeted killings of the minority group. Yes, this has been reported uh, that there have been uh, intelligence inputs uh, for more than 10 days. There was intelligence that something is going to happen. In fact, uh, the valley-based Kashmiri Pandit organization, uh, Kashmiri Pandit Sangar Sapenti, in a letter dated October 5th, uh, they have written uh, to the Lieutenant Governor of Jammu and Kashmir, Manoj Sina, uh, that uh, there was an input. Even they were knowing that, basically. So that is the point that people, uh, the uh, this uh, the Kashmiri Pandits also knew that uh, something is going to happen. And so basically, if uh, such thing happens, so better uh, JNK administration needs to answer this. So th definitely there has been failure uh, in the state machinery, uh, as in they couldn't uh, thought these attacks and they need to plug the holes in the security grid. However, Lieutenant General Hasnain says that this does not necessarily point towards an intelligence failure on part of the security forces in the valley, given that the inputs received may not have pointed exactly towards those targeted. Intelligence services many times give you uh, broad uh, summaries to say that these actions are likely. The other type of intelligence is specific intelligence, that is actionable intelligence, to tell you that there are five terrorists hiding in so-and-so house, in specific places this, or a cluster of houses, three or four houses, and you can therefore rush immediately, put a, or put a cordon around that place and carry out counter-terrorist action. It is that kind of thing. Or um, you know, specific intelligence that targeting of so-and-so leader or so-and-so personality is taking place, so you enhance uh, the security cover for them, right? Now, when you say that uh, intelligence has been received that uh, minority targeting or killings can take place, I would classify it as generic intelligence, right? Uh, there are there are uh, minorities all over the map. South Kashmir to North Kashmir, there are minorities present in different parts. To say that so-and-so my village, 
particular house, a particular family, or that a shop in Srinagar, like in the case of uh, uh, Mr. Bindru, the, the, uh, the chemist who was unfortunately uh, killed, uh, is, he's going to be a target. It's not that as if this kind of an intelligence has been received in this case. Uh, the, with the generic intelligence, there is a the, the response normally is to uh, enhance the patrolling of particular areas and pockets where the minorities are living, enhance the number of uh, uh, police personnel in that area, uh, or perhaps even uh, send out messages to your sources in the field to look for more specific intelligence. The police has got sources in the field everywhere at all times, right? That is the kind of things which you do. In this particular case, I don't think actionable intelligence was really there. And besides that, when you receive generic intelligence, uh, you can succeed. Well, you may succeed 100%, but on an average, you may succeed just about 20 to 30%. Because as I say that uh, there are pockets everywhere, not possible for you to put policemen or uh, put the army in to secure those certain villages in every particular place. Chittu Singhpura also had, we had, we had certain intelligence uh, I do remember that the an action is likely to take place against certain minorities, but we had no idea it's going to be South Kashmir, it's going to be Chittasimpura or something like that. So I don't really classify them as intelligence failures. A, a, a lot of people like to classify these events as intelligence failures, that despite the fact that intelligence was given, the security forces could not uh, sort of secure uh, those particular targets. That's not entirely true. It's not easy securing a target with generic intelligence. It, if there is a failure when you've got specific intelligence about an individual, about a village, about a particular location, and then action has not been taken sufficiently, I would classify that as a failure. Following the attacks, several mainstream political party leaders have come forward and condoned the killings and expressed solidarity with the families. Former Chief Minister, National Conference Vice President Omar Abdullah, in a statement to the media said that, quote-unquote, neither the Muslims nor Sikhs or pundits of the valley feel safe here, and that, quote-unquote, no one can say that there was no information about the possible attacks. And PDP Chief Mehmooba Mufti and PAGD Alliance spokesperson M.Y. Tarigami held the centre responsible for the rise in militancy in the valley. The Kashmiri pundit community on 11th October took to the streets to protest against the targeted killings. According to an Indian Express report, members of the Panun Kashmiri, an organization of Kashmiri pundits, have demanded the centre to create a genocide tribunal on the pattern of the Nuremberg Tribunal, which was a set of military tribunals held following World War II. However, according to Lieutenant General Hasnain, what is required is a social movement within the Kashmiri Muslim community as a show of courage and support to the minorities. The two communities which can do tremendous work in this field are the political and the security communities. Uh, the political community is very important in taking the lead. Uh, they are the ones who have to go to the field, take the lead, infuse confidence in the, in the population, etc. Right? Uh, the security community can, at best, uh, sort of back up what the political community is doing and, and, and saying. Right? Now, unfortunately, there is a lack of political uh, grassroots uh, involvement at the moment, activity in Kashmir, because Kashmir is under governor's rule. So while we are watching and seeing a lot of development activities taking place, there is an absence of grassroots political activity, as you can notice. In the media, also nothing very much of Kashmiri politics is spoken about. So what I was trying to say is that some from somewhere we need to be able to the leadership Kashmiri, the, the Kashmiri Muslims need to do an introspection 
and uh, the Kashmiri Muslim leaders must come up and, and uh, take the way forward, lead the way to give an assurance, a reassurance to the people with bold major statements to the uh, minority communities that they are as important uh, members of the complete society, Kashmiri society, as any Muslim. Without the Sikh, without the Hindu, without the Kashmiri Pandit, Kashmiri society is not complete. It's an awkward, it will be a very awkward society to see Kashmir with only Muslims there, nothing else. Kashmir is a, is a, is a place known, I mean, if, you, if one goes and, see, and even reads the history of Kashmir, you realize is that it's a, it's a cauldron of cultures, different, different cultures which exist there. You have shrines, different shrines. You have the Sri Ramana uh, Ji shrine there. You have the Khir Bhawani temple there. Uh, among Gurdwaras, you have the Chachatipa Chahi Gurdwara at uh, Baramula. You have the very famous Singhpura uh, Gurdwara at um, uh, north of Baramula in the area of a place called Kuklona. So you can't leave them bereft of, uh, of these communities. If they leave Kashmir and go away, it's an incomplete uh, society which will exist. And we don't want, it's not in India's interest to see Kashmir uh, completely Muslim with a Muslim canvas itself. It's against against our own tolerant secular culture, our inclusive culture. So we must, we must, uh, I think, see the sense of responsibility that Kashmiri Muslims must rise up at this time and uh, perhaps launch a movement to ensure that every Muslim is on board, condemns this kind of a thing. Separatism be, a, let, let them go against the separatists, let them go against the extremists and the radicals, appeal to the people, go up to their homes, reassure them, this is the kind of thing which will work and ensure that the relevance which these separatists and terrorists and sponsored proxies from Pakistan are looking at, that is completely neutralized. On 11th October, clashes between the militants and the Indian Army in the JNK Poonch sector resulted in the death of a junior commissioned officer and four soldiers. While details are still awaited that whether these clashes were with the terror outfit behind the recent killings, the encounter is still underway. If you liked listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.